I listen to the diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro-adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to the Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show. Matt, Ryan, and I munched on our breakfast and sipped instant coffee as we took in the peaks and pines of the North Cascades. Despite the warm spring days, snow still covered the upper halves of the peaks, and the glacial runoff forced the rivers and nearby falls to swell. A few wispy clouds decorated the bright blue sky. It was the kind of thing you put on a postcard. We slammed the car trunk, adjusted our packs, and found our way onto the trail. After a few minutes, we emerged from the woods and began to work our way up the steep talus field switchbacking between large boulders and loose gravel. Some large clouds moved in and protected us from baking directly in the sun as our thighs started to burn from the approach. We finally arrived at the base of our climb and threw down our packs. We took a few photos, maybe a pre-climbing selfie or two, then set to work flaking out the ropes and organizing gear. 11 pitches of climbing, all bolted. Nothing harder than 5.9? This was definitely going to be a type 1 fun day. We had worked together at a climbing gym for several months, but this was the first day Matt, Ryan, and I had spent in the mountains together. Matt was one of the first people I met when I moved to Seattle. We clicked immediately as fellow Tennesseans and through our shared interest in cycling and climbing. Bearded and covered in Americana tattoos, Matt was a lover of all things outdoors, and a few months back, I had taken him up his first multi-pitch line. Ryan had something we referred to as permastoke. Regardless of the situation, Ryan brought energy and joy especially if the situation included beer, the outdoors, Oregon Ducks football, or his friends. He was everyone's best friend, and his bearded smile was contagious. That smile was on full display as he took in the valley below and prepared for his first multi-pitch climb. I reviewed the finer points of rope management with Matt and Ryan before I took off of the first pitch. Over the next few hours, we worked our way up the seemingly infinite andesite wall. It extended to my left and to my right, and broke and rolled into roofs and ledges as it rose towards the sky. I've always loved how climbing has a way of making you feel very small, both physically and spiritually. Our progress was slow, but we didn't care. We were having too much fun. Matt led one of the pitches. Ryan took every chance to take a selfie or crack a joke. A couple hours into the climb, a fast-moving group overtook us. We allowed them to pass and fell back into our fun-based pace. As I climbed out of a corner on the ninth or 10th pitch, I saw dark foreboding clouds moving in. I checked my barometer, which was dropping sharply. A storm was moving in. I brought Ryan and Matt up to the belay I had rigged, and we made the decision to bail. We were disappointed not to reach the top of the climb. Ryan and I talked about the thin line that separates knowing when to push on and when to back down. We were playing it safe. 
Rain started to pelt the top of our helmets, and the wind began to pick up as I started to work my way down, pleading with the ropes to cooperate. We opted to use both of our ropes to descend. That meant we could cover twice the distance per rappel, but also I had over 15 pounds and almost 400 feet of rope to manage. We made it to the final anchor, and I needed a break. Ryan volunteered to set up our final rappel of the day. He'd spent several summers rigging rappels like this for outdoor rec programs. One of our computer screensavers at work was an old photo of Ryan grinning ear to ear in the midst of an elaborate web of ropes and knots above a cliff line. I walked over to the back of the ledge as Ryan set to work attaching the ropes. I tore open my pack and took a giant swig from my Nalgene, letting the cool water run down my face and onto my shirt. I pulled out half of a cliff bar that I had saved and stared out at the landscape below, my body tired and my soul full. Then, I heard a loud pop. There's no way I could have seen him fall from my spot on the ledge, but in my mind, we locked eyes. It's just for a moment, but it's also for an eternity, and it's stuck on replay in my mind. The accident report will tell you that the naughty tide backed out and caused him to fall. It'll tell you that Matt and I remained on the ledge for an hour and a half until that other party reached us on their way down. We'll tell you the who's and what's and where's and when's, all in a few short paragraphs. Why? Why didn't I set up the last rappel? Why couldn't I have dug a little deeper or been a little stronger? Why didn't we just go cracking or bouldering or backpacking instead? Why do I climb? In the weeks that followed the accident, we celebrated a life well lived and mourned the loss of our friend. Ryan's life mantra was, let joy rule your life. These words were permanently scrawled across a whiteboard in one of his Oregon homes. Ryan packed more love and laughs into his 26 years than most people do in a lifetime. The memorial service venue could not accommodate the crowd, and people stood outside in the rain to listen to the stories from his closest friends and family. I wasn't strong enough to stay through the service. Missed him so damn much. I came and left and came back again. I stared out at the hills and trees of Ryan's Western Oregon home and thought about my friend. The hills and trees quietly stared back, provided no answers. Three months passed. The world kept spinning. I couldn't find a pause button, no matter how much I dragged my feet. I hadn't touched rocks since the accident. I still wasn't sure if I even wanted to. If you'd asked me a year ago what it would take to make me stop climbing, I would have been at a loss for words. I used to go climbing in the same way people would go to a well, a source of life equally routine and sacred. It would fill me up, leave me refreshed and full after a hard day in the mountains. Hell, and how at the local sport crag could make me feel that way. Now, it felt like somebody had thrown a bucket of shit in my well. After Ryan's death, I lost the appetite for moving over rock. I 
Gradually though, I realized something. Maybe I didn't realize anything. I just found words for something I'd known all along. When I met my wife, there was this mad attraction. The kind that leads to backseat makeout sessions in the hotter than hell heat of Tennessee in July. The attraction that leads you to celebrate a month anniversary at the expensive restaurant in town, even though your paycheck from the gear store can't cover the bill. Over time, we moved out of this honeymoon stage and into a different phase of our relationship. Not because I loved her any less. In fact, our love had grown, but I loved her differently. Deep conversations became more valuable than physical forays. Simple meals prepared together gained more appeal than another dinner at the fancy restaurant down the street. We got married, graduated from school, and moved across the country. Now we are figuring out what it means to be a family. The only constants have been our commitment and the continual evolution of our relationship. My relationship with climbing has taken a similar road. As a teenager, I would climb in 98 degree weather with absurd humidity on absolute choss piles, smiling from ear to ear, happy that one of my older friends gave me a ride out to the crag. I poured over every climbing magazine that I could get my hands on and spent rainy days watching the same climbing videos over and over again. The magazines and videos led me to training programs and steeper rock. Then my focus shifted to bigger rocks and long days in the hills. Each change brought a fresh batch of stoke and gratitude for this sport. But after Ryan's death, climbing appeared dark and ugly. I wanted to love it, but I had to find a new answer to the why questions. The clearest and most direct way to discover my new relationship with climbing was simply roping up. I found some close friends to head outside for a few hours after work. We decided to head to a sport climbing crag only a few minutes outside of Seattle. Another casual, type 1 fun day. This day carried a little more weight for me. After a quiet car ride, we pulled into the crag's parking lot. Ryan and I had visited the same crag a few months back, looking to climb a few pitches before a day of work. I let my mind focus on the good memories of that morning, trying to keep it from slipping back into the nightmare of the last time I had been on a rope. I check my knot for the fourth or fifth time, clear my head, and pull off the ground. A few movements later, I clip the first bolt and exhale a sigh of relief. I feel equally at home and estranged on a rope, delicately pulling down on small edges and mashing the sticky rubber of my shoes onto the rock, just as I've done thousands of times before. Several minutes pass and I clip the anchors and yell down to my partner, on you. We did several other routes that day. On the fourth route, fear came sweeping back in and the visions of the tragedy came rushing to the front of my mind. I was terrified, pissed, and nauseous all in one wild wave of emotion walked away with no new answer for my why questions. It'll take more than one afternoon at the crag for me to find these answers. I begin the familiar routine of packing my gear. Harness first, hardware next, shoes shoved between the hardware and the back of my pack, the dirty soles facing out. The coiled rope gets shoved in last, filling any remaining empty space. I cinch the pack tight and give it a firm shake. I lift my gear onto my back, it settles into place as I take in the woods around me. A little rhythm returns as I start the hike back to the car. I'm Keith Earps, and this is my short. The Diaries would not be possible without the generous support of the good people at Patagonia. Thinking about starting a new business? Do yourself a favor and check out 
Patagonia's Business Library, a toolkit for shareholders of the planet. It includes three paperback books, Yvonne Chouinard's classic manifesto, Let My People Go Surfing, tools for grassroots activists, and The Responsible Company. Learn more at patagonia.com books. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, innovative hitch racks, roof racks, and accessories to help get your bike to the trailhead in style. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. Support for the show also comes from our newest sponsor, Vossen Brewing, whose goal is to make unconventional ales and celebrate people who appreciate the outdoors and spark positive change in their communities. Coming soon to Richmond, Virginia. Hey, do you want to hear that every time your phone rings? Right now, to celebrate our 10th birthday, if you donate to the show, you can get your very own Dirtbag Diaries ringtone theme song. Go to dirtbagdiaries.com, look in the upper right-hand corner, click on the button to pledge your support. A huge thank you to everyone who has donated already. Thank you so much, Keith, for all of your work on this story and for all the work you did for Duct Tape and Beer and the Dirtbag Diaries. We appreciate it. We're stoked we got to have you around the office for a while. Keith did start climbing again and discovered a passion for cycling. This summer, inspired by Ryan, he'll spend a week volunteering with a group of kids from Boys and Girls Club, hiking and scrambling in the Cascades. Music today from Jacob Bain and Nice Koto. This episode was mixed and edited by Jacob Bain. It was produced by Jen Altschul and me, Fitzcahal. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. You have been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.